we pray. Amen. Amen. If your house was burning down, what would you grab? All right. What would you, maybe you think in your phone, maybe you think in your computer, maybe your, your puppy, maybe, I don't know what you'd grab. Maybe not your younger sibling. I don't know what you'd grab. But there was this man, he lived in Kansas, and his house was running down, and he didn't grab anything. He just went for it. He left. He was out of his house, and he, he got out of his house. He looked back, and he was like, wait, I left my most important possession in my house. So he decides to go back in. He's going to go back in the house. It's already burned down some more. He goes back in to grab it, gets it, comes back out. He's breathing in smoke the whole time and all that. He makes it out. What in the world would this guy have grabbed to make him run back into a burning house to get it? You think dog, maybe you're thinking kid, maybe you're thinking family, I don't know. But this guy went back into a burning house to grab his Xbox, his Xbox. So that means, think about this, he had to go back into his house, unplug everything, and grab his whole Xbox. I don't know if he grabbed a controller, because it's kind of useless without a controller. He has to grab that, and he has to, maybe games, I don't know. But he has to grab everything and take it out, which is ridiculous, right? Because what kind of priorities does this guy have? Like, what else do you, maybe, I don't know, you grab something else that's worth more than an Xbox. I think they said he suffered $80,000 in damages, but, you know, it would have been 80500 if it wasn't for that Xbox. I don't know. But... He has had such bad priorities, right? He could have died, all right? He probably has lung problems because he rented his house to grab his Xbox now, but his priorities were all messed up. And this guy ended up okay. Luckily, he survived and all that, but there's people who end up far worse because they have the wrong priorities. They value the wrong things. There's people, I don't know if you hear about this, who will fall off a cliff or fall off a building because they're trying to take a selfie and they're trying to get that good shot and they end up falling off. And more sad, there's some people who end up on their deathbed and they realize, man, I wasted my whole life. I did, I chased things that weren't important. And there's also people that end up spending eternity apart from God because they wanted to do the things they wanted to do and not the things that God wanted to do. So prioritizing the wrong things and valuing the wrong things, it can end up destroying your life and ruining your life. And there's only one thing that's really going to matter that is really more valuable than anything else, and that's Jesus. That's a person, right? Jesus Christ, the person. And if you value him, right, you're going to see how you value him by how you respond to him, right? This guy obviously valued his Xbox, so he ran into a burning house to grab it. And you can see that, how you value something, in this case, Jesus, by how you respond to Jesus. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to continue our series in John chapter 11, verse 45. We're going to look at a few people and see how they responded to Jesus. Right? Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. We learned about that last week. And he raised him from the dead. And now all these people are reacting to it. And they're talking about it. And we're going to see how they responded and what they really valued as uh, Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem. And so... In verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. So that's, that's the response of devotion, right? They're saying, Jesus, we think you're the most important person in the world. We're going to believe in you. Verse 46, But some of them, 
There's a contrast here. Many did this, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So there's two responses. Some believed, some went to the Pharisees. And that's the thing is there's always only two responses. It's one or the other. But think about going to the Pharisees, right? The Jews who went to the Pharisees, they're not super excited about Jesus because we already know the Pharisees had tried to kill Jesus and they didn't like Jesus. And the Pharisees had come up with all these excuses not to believe in Jesus. They'd said, oh, well, you know, you're, you're a demon or you have powers from the devil and that's how you're doing this. Or whatever reason they could think of, but we're gonna, what's their excuse this time, right? In verse 47, it says, so the chief priests and the Pharisees, like these are the most important people in Israel, they gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, right? They don't even try to discredit this. They're just saying, look, this guy's doing all these things. They're not like, oh, he faked it. Lazarus wasn't actually dead. No, they're saying this guy's doing all these things. And they didn't even consider, oh, maybe we should believe in Jesus this time. Like, you know, he healed a blind man, but now he raised someone from the dead. They're just like, no, what are we going to do? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. So the Pharisees are concerned with what's going to happen to them. They're not concerned about Jesus. They're concerned about what's going to happen to them. They're, they're going to lose their importance. If you think about it, they say, take away our, the Romans are going to come and take away our place in our nation. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm the king, and my kingdom is coming. It's not of this world. And so the Romans would hear that and say, the Jews have a king? Well, we've got to stop that. We've got to put an end to this rebellion that's happening. And so the Pharisees are saying, look, we've got to save our, our, our nation. And it sounds like a good motive. But really, right, they're saying we won't be important because Jesus, uh, the Romans would take away their place. That's the temple, right? It's a location, the temple, and their nation, the Jews. And if you think about it, if there's no Jewish temple, that means there's not really a Jewish religion anymore. And if there's no Jewish people to believe in that religion, then the Pharisees aren't very important, right? Because their whole value and their whole importance is built on they're the best people at this religion. They're the, the pinnacle of this religion. And now if, if Jesus is who he says he is, they're not important anymore. So they value their importance more than Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, you're not important, but we are. And one of them, in verse 49, Caiaphas, who's the high priest that year, he's the most important person. He said to them, you know nothing at all. I thought that was weird. It's I don't know if Caiaphas is grumpy or didn't have his coffee that morning or what, but they're saying, Guys, we got, we got to do something. He goes, you guys know nothing at all. You, you don't know anything. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So Caiaphas is saying it's better. It's more profitable. Right? It would be better for us if Jesus died rather than we lose our importance. And the ironic thing, right, the whole nation should perish, is that this whole nation, the temple, and all the Jewish religion is destroyed in 40 years after this. So this didn't do him very much good, right? Maybe later in his life, he sees the Romans come and destroy the temple. But verse 51 is a really interesting statement here. John the, or John the apostle who's writing this, he adds a little comment here to help us understand what's happening. He says, Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, all right, on his own he, he said this, but God actually wanted him to say this. But being the high priest that year, he prophesied unintentionally that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God 
or gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so what God does is he uses this statement of Caiaphas saying, we should kill Jesus so the whole nation can survive. To actually think, I mean, think about what happened when Jesus died. The whole nation was saved in the sense that now they can believe in Jesus and trust in him and trust in his sacrifice for their sins. So they thought saving Jesus would save them on earth, but or killing Jesus would save them on earth, but actually killing Jesus would take the punishment for their sins. And this is all without Caiaphas knowing. But back to what the Pharisees are saying, right? They've seen Jesus do all these signs. They've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They've seen, they've talked to the blind guy that Jesus healed. They've seen Jesus teaching. They've seen all these things. But in verse 53, it says, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That word made plans means resolve. They decided. They were firm. There's no more turning back. Before, when they tried to kill Jesus, it was just a reaction, right? Let's pick up stones from the ground. Let's chuck them at him. Let's kill him because we're so angry. But now it's okay. How do we do this? We're going to think about it. We're not going to we're not going to waver from this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to kill Jesus. And they've hardened their hearts so much. In fact, at the very end of this passage, if you look down to John 12, 9 through 11, they're even willing to kill another innocent person just to get this Jesus guy to stop. In verse 9 of John 12, it says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, right, near Jerusalem, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So now all these people are coming. They're like, we want to see Lazarus. Right? He was dead, now he's alive. Like, we got to see this guy. And so they're believing in Jesus, and the Jews and the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So they're willing to even kill Lazarus, right? Which kind of sucks for Lazarus, right? Because he literally was dead, came back, and now people want to kill him, right? But the Pharisees are saying, we don't want Jesus. We're going we're gonna to trade Jesus so we can stay important. We're going to trade Jesus so people can still look up to us. We're going to trade Jesus so we can live our lives the way we want it and not have to worry about doing what he says. And it's easy to wonder how they could be so oblivious, right? Man, you literally saw someone walk out of a tomb. But the thing is, we do the same thing when we sin. We're saying, Jesus, I don't want you. I want my sin. When you don't respond to the gospel, when you feel conviction in your heart, you're doing the same exact thing. You're saying, Jesus, I don't want you. I want myself. I want my popularity. I want my pleasure. I want my career. I want my future. So don't trade Jesus for anything. And that's my first point for you guys tonight. Don't, or this morning, don't trade Jesus for anything. Maybe you're thinking, I would never trade Jesus. Maybe you're, you're Peter. You're sitting there. I'll die with you, Jesus. I wouldn't trade you for anything. And that's the thing is every time you sin, you're saying, Jesus, I don't want you. I want this more. That's what sin is. It's something you want more than Jesus. And some of you are like the Pharisees and you're rejecting Jesus completely. You're saying, I don't want Jesus at all because I want to live my life the way I want to. I want to do my thing. I don't want to have to do what Jesus tells me. And so you're valuing these other things that are, that are worthless. So you need to find the things that you value more than Jesus. And even if you're a Christian, there's things that are tempted to creep up on that and take that spot away. They're trying to take 
Jesus' most important spot. They're trying to take that away. So what do you care about more than Jesus? What do you value more than Jesus? Maybe it's feeling good, right? I want to do the things I want. If I become a Christian, I can't do the things I want. I can't do this. I can't go do this thing in 10 years. I have to, I have to live like that. I don't want that. And what you're saying is, Jesus, I don't want that. I don't want you. Maybe it's you want to live a better life now. I'll be more popular if I'm not a Christian. I'll be better at this if I'm not a Christian. I won't, I'll be able to say these things if I'm not a Christian. Maybe it's more social, right? I'll have more friends. I'll be weird if I'm a Christian. But the thing is, none of those things are as valuable as Jesus. You're saying, I want my popularity over Jesus. And you're trading Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, I don't want you. I want this. And the thing is, it's easy to miss something if you don't understand what it's worth. It's easy to trade it away if you don't know how valuable it is. Think about all the states in America. It's kind of funny how we got some of them. One of them, we actually bought it. So Alaska, one of the last states we got, we bought it from Russia. And Russia didn't want it. Russia was like, there's just igloos and Eskimos and polar bears. Like, we don't want Alaska. There's nothing, you can't do anything here. It's dark for half the year. Like, what are we going to do with Alaska? So they sold it in like the 1800s. They sold it to the U.S. for two cents an acre. So two cents for this huge piece of land, for an acre of this huge piece of land. And they just, it's basically, they gave it away. But the thing is, everyone thought, even in America, everyone thought it was such a dumb thing. Like, why are you buying Alaska? No one wants Alaska. But now, we're finding oil in Alaska. So, of course, the U.S. bought it. We're finding oil in Alaska. We're finding gold in Alaska. People want to take cruises to Alaska. And so now, Alaska, once we understand what it's worth, we understand, oh, look, there's actually all this cool stuff here. There's actually all these valuable things we can get from Alaska. They didn't. The, the Russians probably would have kept it if they knew what it would be worth, but they didn't. They didn't get it. They missed it, and they basically gave it away for something that wasn't worth very much, which was just some money that wasn't anywhere close to what Alaska's actually worth. And here's the thing is, if you don't understand what Jesus is worth, of course you're going to give him away. Of course you're going to say, whatever. Of course I'm going to give up on Jesus. Of course I'm going to stop being a Christian. Not stop being a Christian. Stop following God. You can't stop being a Christian. But... Of course, I'm going to stop following God. Of course, I'm going to stop obeying my parents. Of course, I'm not going to come to church anymore because I don't think it's worth it. And here's the thing. You, maybe you're concerned with people's opinion of you. You're like, oh, man, I want people to think I'm cool. I want people to think I'm popular. And so if I'm a Christian, I can't do that. Well, whose opinion really matters? When you stand before God, is the rest of your class going to say, oh, well, you know, he was super popular. Or she, she had a lot of friends. Or is Jesus going to say, I died for that person? I shed my blood for that person. I was crucified for that person. Which is going to matter more? What about when you go through something really hard in your life? Maybe something happens with your family. Maybe you get really stressed out about something. Maybe you get sick or hurt. Who's going to help you the most? Right, is it going to be, maybe you, you spend your whole, your whole life trying to be healthy, and you idolize your body, or maybe you spend your whole life trying to be whatever it is, right? If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to be able to get through that. You know, what's going to matter in that moment when you're saying, I can't do anything about this situation? Well, guess what? Jesus controls that situation, and he could do something about it, but you gave him away. So you've got to protect your value of Jesus. You've got to fill your mind with his value. Fill your mind with, with passages and stories and 
evidence that Jesus is worth more. So that when you are tempted to be convinced that he's not, you can remember that. And the thing is, the most amazing thing is if you choose Jesus over everything else, it'll always, 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 always be worth it. And so we know that the Pharisees rejected Jesus and that they openly gave him away. They're like, okay, we'll just kill this guy so that the nation can survive. But there's another more subtle rejection that takes place right after in this passage. So in verse 54, it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, right? Because they're going to kill him. And he knows, okay, I'm supposed to get crucified in a week. I'm not supposed to get crucified now. So he went there, from there, to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Passover, this is 4th of July for Israel, right? Passover, if you think back, Exodus, Pharaoh, right? They get out, they're painting the blood on the doors. The angel's going to come and save them from Israel. Right? This, is, this is the biggest event in Israel's history. This is a huge deal. This is everything Israel's about. If you, if you ever read through the Old Testament, you'll say, you'll look and you'll see, God is always saying, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. And if you missed it, it would be like, what are you doing? It's like not showing up to Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? You're missing out. And so Passover is happening, and many went up from the country to, to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So they had to do all this prep, kind of like Thanksgiving. It takes all day to make the food, right? This is even more. It takes days to get ready for Passover. So all these people, these are, you know, maybe some of them saw Jesus feed the 5,000. Maybe some of them ate the bread Jesus made. And they're looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he's not going to come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so that they could arrest Jesus. So the people, they're sitting here. It's like watching a movie. They're sitting and watching. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Are the Pharisees going to kill Jesus? Are they going to arrest him? Or is Jesus going to somehow figure this all out? And I mean, he raised someone from the dead. I wonder what else he could do. So they're watching. It's like watching a movie, right? You don't want to actually be in the movie, right? If you're watching... I don't know, you're watching The Mandalorian. You don't want to be in there when people are shooting at you and all this stuff. You just want to watch it and see what happens. You don't actually want to be part of it. And that's what these people are doing. They don't want to be part of it. They just want to watch, see what happens. Okay, because if I choose Jesus, the Pharisees are going to kick me out of the synagogue. If I choose the Pharisees, I might miss out on this Jesus guy, and he's doing all this cool stuff. So they just want to see, okay, I want to see how this plays out. And the thing is, is they're still rejecting Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, we still don't want you because we're scared. We don't want the Pharisees to hate us. So we want to be comfortable. We want to do our thing and live our life the way we want to and not worry about all this tension and all this drama. We don't want to commit to Jesus. We just want to be curious and watch and see how this happens. And that's the second point I have for you tonight is, or this morning, I don't know why I keep saying tonight, is be committed, not curious. Be committed, not curious. Some of you guys might be doing the same thing with Jesus or with church. You're sitting here in church and you're like, well, I don't know if it's true. Maybe it's true. I kind of like it, but I want to see. You know, maybe I want to try and live how I want to first. And then when I'm older, then I can become a Christian and settle down and get married and have kids and whatever and be Christian and do that then. But now I want to do what I want to do. Maybe you're saying, well, I, I kind of like it, but it's just not my thing right now, but maybe when I'm older, I'll try it. And here's the thing is, Jesus says he's the only way. 
He says, those who aren't for me are against me. There's no, well, you're not for me, but you don't hate me. No, it's you're either for Jesus or against Jesus, right? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If you think about these crowds that are talking about Jesus, they've seen him so much, right? They might've been there. John 6, feeding of the 5,000. Remember we talked about that? They're curious. Jesus fed all these people. They say, oh, well, this is kind of cool. And they come back for more bread. It's like, well, you're missing the point. You're missing Jesus. You're here for bread. And John 7, he's teaching and they keep talking and talking and talking. And John 10, he heals the blind man. He says he's the good shepherd and they just keep talking. No one's believing in him. And they're scared to commit. So they just talk about it. And these are probably some of the same people and they still don't believe. But they've seen Jesus a lot. Heard Jesus talk a lot. And some of you guys have probably heard a lot of sermons. Right, you've heard Jesus' word a lot. You've heard the Bible a lot. You've heard worship songs a lot. But all you do is just say, oh, it's kind of cool. All right, some of you are just sitting and watching Jesus. Some of you, you're trying to commit to Jesus and, not, and will still be a good kid. You're like, well, I don't want to be a bad kid because then my parents will get mad at me, but I also want to go do my own thing, so I don't want to be a Christian. And you're just sitting in this middle ground. Some of you are like the people that Jesus talked to, and he said, hey, come follow me. And they said, I would follow you, but... I have to do this thing. I have to go do this thing at my house, or I have to go do, I'll miss this if I, if I follow you. And the thing is, you're, the comfort you're gaining by not picking a side, by sitting in the middle and wanting to do your own thing, it's just, all it's doing is making you feel better, but you're going to the same destination as the people who say, Jesus, I don't want you at all. It's like when you're sick and you get a fever, you take fever reducer. That doesn't actually solve your, your problem. You still have the, the virus or whatever, the bacteria, whatever it is. You just don't feel as bad about it. You, you just reduce the symptom, but you didn't actually solve the sickness. And sitting in the middle and being curious about Jesus, you're just making yourself feel better. You're saying, oh, I'm not a bad kid, but you're not a Christian, and only Christians go to heaven, not good kids. So you need to commit. And stop sitting around, oh, I wonder how this will turn out. But there's some people that, that did make a decision about Jesus. So in chapter 12, we're going to see that. So look down at chapter 12. We're going to see people that did make a decision about Jesus. Verse 1 says, six days before the Passover. You can feel this building. Passover's coming. What happens on Passover? Well, in the Old Testament, that's when the lamb got killed. In the New Testament, that's when Jesus gets killed. So it's coming, right? Seventh day is a big deal. Six days before Passover. On the seventh day, something's going to happen. You can feel this. And you guys know the story, so you, you feel the tension. But Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, in case you didn't miss that. In case you missed that part a chapter ago, Lazarus got raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So there's this big dinner gathering of people, and Everyone's probably asking, like, everyone's like, oh, I want to see Lazarus. Like, where'd you go? What was it like? Why are you, how'd you come back? Like, did you hear Jesus? What happened? Everyone want to talk to Lazarus. But Mary, she's not focused on Lazarus. Mary, therefore, took a pound, a pound, this is a whole bottle of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And what that is, it's this, it's this oil from India. And they get it from the Himalayas and they extract it from these plants. And so if you think about it, India is pretty far from Israel, especially when they don't have cars. So you have to travel from India. You have to go through Pakistan. 
and Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and Jordan. And finally, you're in Israel on a camel. So you're going super far on a disgusting animal. That's how long it takes you to get this kind of oil if you're in Israel. So this is a, this is a big deal, and it's, it's the pure one. It's the genuine real thing. It's not a knockoff. It's not, someone, it's not something someone made in like Lebanon and just traveled like 10 minutes to get to Israel, and they're like, oh, hey, here's this oil, and they, they scammed them. This is the real thing, and this is a super expensive ointment, and she's taken all of it, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. So she poured it on his feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this is probably the, one of the weirdest things you'll ever see in Scripture is that Mary is wiping the, her, Jesus' feet with her hair. And in that time, they had sandals, and they walked around on these roads, these dirt roads, and there's no cars, so people ride animals, and animals create a lot of waste. And so they're walking around on these dirty roads, and they got all this stuff all over their feet, and she's taking the most expensive ointment she can find, and she's using all of it, and she's using her hair, right? And, and especially in this culture, this was like their most valuable, most prized possession. It was like your, a girl's hair was, that was her thing. And she's wiping his disgusting feet with it. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And if you think about that, that's just kind of a description of how much she used. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where someone uses like way too much cologne or way too much perfume, and you can taste it. My dad had this cologne bottle in his car in the center console, and whenever he'd open that console, it was, it was bad. Windows were going down, like, we we're, we're, were not having it. And so that's what this is like, because she just took this whole bottle and dumped it on his feet. Right? And Mark, it actually says she broke it. She broke the bottle. She's not holding anything back. She's not planning on saving anything for later. This is it. And... She's wiping Jesus' feet with it, and only servants would do that. So doing this was like, what are you doing, Mary? Why are you doing that? It's showing that this gratitude and humility. She's saying, Jesus, I'll look bad to give you honor. Right? She's treating Jesus like a king. Because usually if you think about it, wasting, basically, right? if someone's wasting a lot of stuff, it's showing, oh, like I have more of it. I can waste it. And what it's showing is showing this, this humility and this gratitude, but also this affection, right? I care so much about you, Jesus, that I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to use this whole bottle on you. I'm not going to save anything for later. I'm going to make myself look weird and look bad, and I'm going to mess up my hair and make my hair super dirty and, and take this perfume that I could have used for myself, and I'm going to use it on you because I love you, and I care about you, and I have this deep affection and adoration for you. So why, why is she doing this? Because she cared about Jesus the most. She loved Jesus the most. She was most concerned with the honor and worship of Jesus more than anything else. More than the people thinking she looked bad. More than the people thinking she looked weird. More than how her hair smelled. That's what she cared about. So her third point this morning is care most about Jesus. Care most about Jesus. Right? Mary's disregarding everything to show Jesus the most honor and care she can, right? She's disregarding her own benefit, right? She didn't hold any of the oil back. She could have sold it. Later, Judas will tell us that she could have sold it for a year's worth of wages. So if she sold this bottle, she wouldn't have to work for a year. But instead, she's saying, I want to use it on Jesus because I care about that more 
than me having to work for a year. And for us, we need to choose what benefits Jesus most. We need to choose, okay, this, even if I have to wake up early to do my DVR before school, does this benefit Jesus if I do this? Yes, it does. So even though I'll get maybe a little bit less sleep, maybe I'll have to go to bed earlier, then this will benefit Jesus more in giving him worship instead of yourself. Saying, I'm going to pick Jesus over myself. Whenever there's that decision comes down, do I pick Jesus? Do I pick me? You're picking Jesus. She disregarded people's opinion of her. Right? She looks wasteful. Actually, later we'll see that Judas gets mad at her. He's like, what are you doing? You're wasting this. So she looks bad. She looks dumb. She looks like a servant. That's not good. She looks weird. She's wiping some dude's hair with her feet. Did I say that wrong? I did say that wrong. She's wiping some dude's feet with her hair. I think, I don't know which one's weirder. <laughs> now that I'm trying to think about that, which one would be, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, she looks weird. That's the point, right? Whether, whatever you think it is, she looks weird. But see, the thing is, she doesn't care about people's opinion because she cares about Jesus' opinion. She's saying, they can think I look weird, but Jesus is going to look good, right? It looks like Jesus is super important because most people didn't get this much special treatment. Most people didn't get all this stuff, but Jesus did from Mary because she wanted people to think Jesus was important. And so we need to be willing to look, be looked down on for Jesus. Maybe it's, oh, well, you have to miss practice for TNN. People are going to be like, oh, you're so lame. You're going you're to church instead of practice. Or you, you read your Bible before school. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. Maybe it's the things you wear, right? You look dumb. Right, you can't wear that. that. That's not cool. Maybe it's your words, the things you say, the jokes you make or don't make. And the point isn't for people not to like you. The point is for people to, to see, oh, you like Jesus a lot. You care about Jesus a lot. And the point also is for Jesus to like you because his opinion matters more. And people will say things. People will say, oh, this is bad. This is dumb. What are you doing? And we see in verse 4, someone else says that. In fact, Judas says that. Verse 4 in chapter 12. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, spoiler alert, he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Right? This, is, this seems like a good question. It seems like, oh, Judas, you're smart. Like, we could have done this. What's Mary doing? But he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself with what was put in it. So people would say, hey, Jesus, take this money so then you can, you can stay at this, ho this hotel next week. And he'd take some of it and say, oh, we, we can only stay at this type of hotel. We can't stay at this really nice hotel. But he'd actually just take it. And Jesus said to Judas, he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He defends Mary. And then he says, for the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. That's a weird sentence. We'll get into it in a little bit, but Mary's not using it on, these, on the poor people. She's not using it to get more money because she realized it was best used on Jesus. Right? Even though she could have sold it and given money to the poor, and that would have been good. She is in a unique situation that none of us are in, but she literally had Jesus right in front of her. And that's why it was in this situation, it was good for her to pick Jesus over the poor people because Jesus was right there. And what this is saying is that when Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me, the point he's making is the poor aren't the end goal. Jesus 
is. Right? You're generous to the poor because Jesus says so. You care about the poor because Jesus loves them. Not be, just because inherently, oh, th- we can. No, it's because of Jesus. And so everything has to be viewed in perspective with valuing Jesus. All right. If you gave me a Visa card, I could go get gas with it. I could go, go shopping with it. I really doubt I would go shopping with it. But I could get gas. I could get food. I could do whatever I want with it. But there's this girl I really like, and I'm going to take her on a date because I value that more than I value using my Visa card to get gas, right? That's more important to me, right? That, that super awesome date would be more fun than me just getting gas in my car. And that's what Mary's doing here. She's saying, yeah, I could do that, but this is better because I'm seeing it through the lens of valuing Jesus. And I care about Jesus and I love Jesus. So that's what I'm gonna do with this. And we need to have that same mindset of using our resources on Jesus and for Jesus. You've been given a lot of resources. You've been given time. You've been given the ability to speak, so your words. You've been given health. You can go around and do things and lift things up for people and carry things and help people do things. You've been given all these resources, and what are you doing with them? Right? If you think about this contrast with Judas, Judas sees this as a waste. He's saying, "What you're wasting this on Jesus. You should have done this with it. You're wasting it. How many of us would have said that? Said, what are you doing, Mary? Why are you doing that? But he only sees the financial value. He's saying, look, we could have sold this for this much, right? He saw it as something he could profit himself with. The value was determined by what he could sell it for. It wasn't determined by what it could do for Jesus. See, Mary sees the that oil as the most worthy substance, the, the best thing she can give to, to Jesus, right? The value of whatever it is, is determined by what it can do for Jesus. And there's so many things you've been given that have value because of what you can do with it for Jesus. And if you really care about Jesus, that's what you're going to see, right? It's almost Christmas, so everyone's thinking about presents and now that I'm an adult, I have to get presents for people. Um, no, it's fun. I get to get presents for people. But um, I'm, I'll see things, and I'll, instead of seeing like, oh, that's lame, I'll be like, oh, that could be a present for someone. And because I've had this shift of thinking, oh, I should get presents for people because I care about these people, so I'm seeing things differently. I'm seeing, oh, that, that Snickers bar, I don't like Snickers. I don't like nuts. I don't really like healthy food in general. But I don't like... I don't like Snickers, right? But my mom does. So if I see a Snickers bar, I'll go, oh, maybe my mom wants that, right? I'm not seeing it as, oh, that's the lame piece of candy. No, I'm saying, oh, this could be something I could give to my mom. And so we need to have that same shift of seeing things and how we can give them to Jesus and how we can use them for Jesus, right? We already mentioned your time, right? Maybe it's your ability to read, right? We live in a great country where you've been taught to read and you've learned how to read. So what are you reading, what are you doing with it? Are you just reading words in your Discord chat that don't really matter? Or are you spending your time reading God's word and studying it? Right? Are you using your energy? Right? Everyone will tell you you're a kid and you got a lot of energy. What are you using it for? And the sad part is a lot of you, you don't want to do anything for Jesus because you don't care about Jesus. Right? We talked about at the very beginning, you're 
value of Jesus determines your response to Jesus. How much you care about Jesus determines your response to Jesus, right? Judas didn't care about Jesus that much, right? His value of Jesus, we'll find out later, is 30 pieces of silver. That's what he thinks about Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'll trade you because the Pharisees will give me 30 pieces of silver so they can kill you. But Mary is saying, I care about Jesus so much that I'm willing to give up this super expensive thing and give up people's opinion of me so that I can make Jesus look good. And so if you're sitting there, I don't care about Jesus. Well, the reason you don't is because you need a new heart. You need a new heart that has new desires and new affections and wants different things. And so you need to ask Jesus to give you that new heart. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I want to become a Christian, but I just don't, I don't have that desire. Well, you need to ask God and he can change your heart. Like we talked about at the very beginning, being born again in John 3. You need to have that heart change that'll give you this new care and new affection and new love for Jesus and the things he loves. And then if you're sitting here saying, well, I like Jesus, I just want to love Jesus more. And that's good. That's awesome. And so first thing is pray for it, right? If you're sitting here, man, I just, I, I want to love Jesus. I want to do all these things for him, but I want to think about it. Well, pray for it. Ask God and he'll give it to you because right in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to be more holy. He wants you to love him more. And so if you pray for it, he'll give it to you. And also, you want to grow your care. Fill your mind with things that will make you love Jesus. Right? The first thing that comes to mind probably is maybe it's a Bible verse you really love. Maybe it's sermons, listening to sermons and taking notes. Maybe it's going to small groups. Maybe it's worship songs. Right? Fill your mind with things that, that make you love Jesus. Right? It could just be, it wouldn't be for me, but it could just be a good cup of coffee. And you're saying, this makes me love Jesus. Jesus made this coffee, and it helps me get through my day, and it tastes really good. Maybe it's that. But whatever it is, fill your mind and your heart with it and remember it. Like we said, protect your value of Jesus. Because ultimately, there's only two responses. There's acceptance and there's rejection. And those are determined by how much you value. And regardless of what your rejection looks like, maybe it's I hate Jesus and I don't want anything to do with him, I don't want to come back. Or maybe it's, well, I'll wait and see, but you're still rejecting Jesus. But whatever your rejection is, it only has one result. And the result is, if you, if you really don't want Jesus, you won't have him. And you'll stand before God without Jesus. And it's not going to be worth it. Because if you really don't want Jesus, then you'll stand there without his righteousness, and God will... God will say, you don't belong here. You don't belong in heaven with me. But if you want Jesus, if you really value him, that's going to have one result, and that's devotion. That's love. That's care, worship, adoration for Jesus. And so if you truly value Jesus, you're going to be devoted to him, and you're going to choose him over everything else. So this week, you're going to be faced with a lot of opportunities a lot of decisions. Are you going to pick Jesus? Or are you going to pick anything else? So let's pray. And let's talk to the God who's worth more than anything else. Dear God, thank you that you are worth everything else. Um, and 
the book of Revelation, we can see angels and um, other Christians singing, worthy, worthy, and you are worth everything, God. You're worth more than everything. Pray that you would help us to see that. Some of us don't see it at all. Some of us see it a little bit. Pray that we'd see it more. Maybe some of you, some um, people here will value you for the first time and want to love you for the first time. I pray that you do that. I pray that you change hearts and open eyes so they can see how amazing you are. And I pray that you would help us um, to have the, the strength and the love to choose you over everything else, no matter what it costs us, um, because you are worth more. So thank you that you're worth more. Thank you that you're better. And I pray that we'd love you with everything we have. In your name we pray. Amen.